This week on Geek Explained, it's officially spooky season. In part one of our month-long series, special guest Jessica Morgan joins me on a deep dive into the Silent Hill series and the legend of P.T. Welcome to Geektober. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and welcome to Geektober 2021. Uh, I loved doing a full-on October series last year, and I figured, let's do it all over again. So each week in the month of October, we'll be visiting a different corner of the spooktastic Halloween pop culture universe. Uh, this week, we are diving into the world of video games. Last year, we tackled Dead Space and the lasting impression it's left. And this year, we are checking out The Legend of P.T., one of the greatest horror games of all time, one of the most... I would say iconic and controversial pieces of video game media with all the outside behind the scenes story that's going on with that. And to talk about this game, I am joined by one of my very good friends, a good brother, Jessica Morgan, making her debut on the podcast solo to talk about the spooky season. Uh, She's an actress. She's a filmmaker. She's a producer. She's a writer. She does it all. And on top of all that, she is an expert in Halloween and everything related to the horror genre. So really excited to share with you the conversation we had. Uh, We also have the latest weekly review on the newest episode of Doom Patrol Season 3. And of course, we have this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous, but as of this recording, there's nothing really to talk about. We don't really have any news this past week, a little bit conspicuous by its absence, so this is going to be kind of just a, a quick break before we dive into the main... Wait a second, I'm checking my notes again. Oh, it looks like we do have one thing. Uh, <clears throat> Sora is in Smash! Sora has finally made his way to Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. We have been waiting. We have been praying to every single world, every single heart, and... Sakurai finally fed us. Finally, Sakurai gives us as the final fighter in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. He decided, you know what? They've been clamoring for it for years. Let's just give the fans what they want. Uh, This week, they debuted the 
trailer, they debuted the reveal, they debuted gameplay, all of it. And oh man, I absolutely adore it. It looks great. Sora fits right in with everybody that's there and he his moveset's so cool. His moveset's so cool and he got, he has a bunch of different skins that harken back to his appearances throughout the games. You know, dear listener, or maybe you don't. If this is your first time listening to us, hello. But I am a huge Kingdom Hearts fan. I have been since I was a small boy and I adore this series, and I, like many people, wanted to see Sora pop up in Smash Brothers. It just made sense, right? And I was disappointed year after year to find that my my darling boy did not make it into the roster of games in this series. But finally, for the final spot in this list, in this huge roster of fighters... Sora's here. I am over the moon about this. Uh, If you want just a taste of how much of a Kingdom Hearts fan I am, I have an entire series where I went through every single game in the Kingdom Hearts series leading up to Kingdom Hearts 3. There have been a couple games that uh, have been released since then, so maybe that series is worth a revisit. But right now we're talking about Sora in Smash. He looks great. Voiced, of course, by Haley Joel Osment, though I'm assuming that when the actual release comes out, it'll have both uh, English and Japanese voices. But the as of this recording, uh, Sora's going to drop in two weeks, so right around 13 days from now, and I cannot wait. I'm very excited for this. My main might be switching from my boy Lil Mac to, uh, to Sora, so I'm excited to check this out. And Sakurai also had some even almost just as big news, Kingdom Hearts is finally coming to Switch. Uh, The 1.5 and 2.5 remix, the 2.8 remix, and Kingdom Hearts 3 are all coming to Switch. It's just going to be a digital uh, copy, unfortunately, so no physical copies, but you will be able to play all the way through the Xehanort Saga on your Nintendo Switch. So lots of awesome news. I absolutely loved getting this. Uh, This is a very late birthday present to me, I'm just going to say it, or a very early uh, Christmas present, or it's a Geektober kickoff present. You be the judge. But that is it. Uh, I wanted to take some time to talk about it because it was literally the only piece of news that I really... Uh, that I really enjoyed um, and that really stuck out to me. So without further ado, speaking of video games, we're going to roll right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, which is part one of Geektober as I, alongside special guest Jessica Morgan, discuss the rise, the fall, and the lasting legacy of P.T.
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to part one of Geektober. This is the series where throughout the entire month of October, we're going to be talking about spooky things. And for part one, we're diving into the world of video games and to talk about this incredible uh, incredible series, incredible topic, I'm very pleased to welcome a very special guest, the goodest of brothers, <laughs> Jessica Morgan. Jessica, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here, and I'm scared to talk about what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to have you here. Um, Jessica, we are talking about the legend of P. Now, for uh, listeners, if you don't know what PT is, we're going to be diving into the whole thing. But what you do need to know is that this is going to be a lot of stuff that we're going to be talking (laughs) about. Because this was not just like a game, not just like, oh, is this one-off horror game. This is like a monolith of the horror genre when it comes to video games. And... It is because it is part of such a uh, such an important horror gaming franchise, that being Silent Hill. And Jess is the Silent Hill expert, my ah! resident Silent Hill expert. Um, <laughs> Jess, for our listeners, um, can you give us a brief uh, a brief intro, a brief summarization mm-hmm. of what Silent Hill is? Oh, man, the legend of Silent Hill. Um, So I was going to say, I don't know if I'm an expert, but at the same time, I do really love these games. Um, (laughs) So, uh, yeah, they are, they are, so everyone likes to compare them to like Resident Evil, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. like Silent Hill or Resident Evil. Um, So it's definitely in that same sort of genre, but Silent Hill is just so much more full of like atmospheric kind of horror. Um, And it's all about like that slow burn and that slow creeping and definitely more psychological. So um, those are the big themes that they like to bring in when they talk about Silent Hill games. Um, And they are so creepy. They like stick with me, like the monsters that are in these things, like the scenarios that are in these games have like stuck with me over the years to the point where I feel like me revisiting it for this podcast I think I like repress some of these memories <laughs> and then like looking at it I was like oh my god triggered like immediate anxiety <laughs> so um, yeah. uh, for those of you who don't know Jess is a very good friend of mine we've been friends for many many years at this point we've acted together um I my first my first film role was as a uh, a backup goon in a mm. film that Jess invited me to be a part of. So, we've been friends for a very long time and Jess is also not just my local Silent Hill expert. She is one half of my iconic horror experts. Her and her partner Chris, the two of them are and anytime that like anything spooky or horror filled, you know that they are going to be involved. Um, Jess, real quick, I want to ask before we dive into like the rest of this, what is your, what is, I'm trying to think here. So what is your favorite thing about the Halloween season mm-hmm. and what is a tradition for Halloween that you always have every year? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, my favorite thing about the Halloween season in general is just like, I think the spirit of play and the spirit of like exploring things that could be creepy, scary, otherworldly. Um, 
like just being open to that because I think most of the time we're not, especially like fear is something, you know, no one wants to be afraid, <laughs> but, right. but during this season we kind of don't mind. And it's, um, I don't know, it's kind of cathartic to, to get scared every once in a while and have that sort of tension release and stuff. Um, so that's probably my favorite part of the season. Uh, growing up, Halloween was huge for my family. Um, my mom was obsessed with Halloween. She grew up pretty poor. And um, she used to say Halloween was like the one holiday that she got to fully celebrate because you could put together like the cheapest costume, like, you know, throw on a sheet and be a ghost kind of thing. <laughs> and then you got to go around and get free candy everywhere. And it's like, so it was like a holiday that anyone could really experience and that sort of thing. Well, sometimes like Christmas or other ones, if you didn't have money, you couldn't buy gifts and it wasn't, right. you know, maybe as fulfilling for some people as others, but Halloween kind of for her leveled that field. And so we took Halloween very seriously in our family. <laughs> <laughs> and so I grew up with this. I think I have to like attribute it to my mom too, even for scary games. Cause she used to play like PC scary games like that. Uh, just like these like mystery ones and like these crazy games. And I was realizing as I was talking to my sisters, I was like, Oh my God, I, this is why I got into more like horror games, even though I'm such a scaredy cat. Like, <laughs> like I'm not like, I don't play these games and I'm like, oh yeah, I got this. Like I'm terrified. Like I, like I feel like it's torture sometimes, but I still love it. So <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's so funny how like our upbringing and like how we view Halloween is through the eyes of our childhood or really any holiday. Yeah. And like, I think there is something to be said about like Halloween having a very um, DIY, you know, you can build your own experience yeah. when it comes to that holiday. So super cool. So yeah. getting into Silent Hill, obviously, as Jess mentioned, it is a survival horror game. It was uh, published by Konami Digital Entertainment. And I know a lot of listeners are cringing at the name Konami, myself included. <sighs> but uh, it lay sigh. <laughs> <laughs> But the uh, the first installment of Silent Hill was released in 1999, the far-flung year of oh 1999. Gosh. It feels like a thousand years ago. Yes. And over the years, as the um, as the sequels came out, the you started to see kind of like a steady decline in quality because mm -hmm. like the first game was so special for its time, mm -hmm. and like just mentioned, like the atmosphere of silent hill is really what sells it like you can get yeah. a lot of like the horror and the gore from like a resident evil or like totally. those kind of like horror games but like silent hill was all all about tension it was all about psychological trauma mm -hmm. now do you have a favorite game among the original eight i mean it's you know Everyone talks about two being kind of the best, I think, and I and I do kind of have to go with that. I I know why two stands out so much because mm. it followed a lot of those same things that was great about one, but then we got more psychological with it. We got a character we really enjoyed, and we got to, you know, have this like kind of twist happening inside of the story and stuff. And um, so I really like that one. Uh, but I would say there's, a, I was gonna say four. The room kind of holds a special place in my heart. Um, okay. which, and that one's one of those ones that people are kind of like, you're either or on and I know it's got issues, but for some reason, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's because it's like, and interesting enough, I mean, we're talking about PT here. It's the first game that decided to go into that, like first player view, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, so, um, for a part of it, at least when you were in this guy's apartment locked in there, um, that was all first player, first person point of view. And then it also had, um, just these like haunting things that would happen every time you went back to this room there was like some other possession something creepy and it was just oh my gosh the anxiety it was like you know usually 
usually like for instance again like resident evil or something you have like your save room and you're like you're kind of safe in a save room you know right and it's like you would feel like this apartment should be that like safe save room and it wasn't it was always <laughs> like there was something else happening and you didn't know what it was and you had to go around corners and find things and it reminds me kind of what they did with pt a little bit so um yeah. four kind of holds a special place in my heart as well so nice okay yeah. so yeah. <laughs> As we kind of get into it, I mean, Silent Hill, kind of the basic premise, at least of the first game, is it centers around this community called Silent mm-hmm. Hill. And there's this guy. It's it's all about, like, our, a character stumbles upon this town and then deals with all of the trauma that they have to Dude. face. For, right. like, it's very, um, it's almost Freddy Krueger-like in that it's mm-hmm. like, oh, your worst, like, dreams, all your worst nightmares are kind of like, hey, let's just throw your trauma in your face. And... <laughs> That theme kind of continued throughout the games, but Mm -hmm. when it came to the ninth installment, when it came to Konami wanting to make Silent Hills, Hills (laughs) plural, they decided in September 2012 that there was only one man that could take the reins for this franchise, that they wanted to revitalize it and kind of give it a rebirth. And that was one Hideo Kojima. Yes. Kojima-san. This has to hold such a special place in your heart for... It I does. Mean, it I really does. I know you're a Metal does. Gear fan. And it's I just... am a Metal Gear boy. <laughs> I surely am. Um, for those of you who aren't aware, Hideo Kojima is a legend in the video gaming uh, development community. He is an auteur of the highest regard, and he's mostly known for Metal Gear. Uh, the whole Metal Gear series, he is the brainchild. He is the end and the beginning of the concepts in that, with a couple exceptions. <laughs> Metal Gear Survive. Uh, but he's also an avid horror fan. He's not someone who is, like, um, so entrenched in it that he's known for it. But, like you and me, like, Mm -hmm. we're fans of the genre. And when it comes to his treatment of games, he is known for taking concepts and really coming at them from a different angle than you would expect. He's known for uh, misleading and surprising players. Specifically, there was a uh, there was a game, Ground Zeroes, the, I guess, prequel for, or you could say a three-hour demo of Metal Gear Solid V, The Phantom Pain, um, where it was, he was this bandaged game developer who was, like, debuting his new game, and people very qu- quickly were like, is that fucking Hideo Kojima? God damn it. And it ended up being a Metal Gear game. But Hideo was brought on to this game because he had a fresh perspective. Uh, I'm going to read a quote. He said, uh, in the past, I've mentioned Silent Hill in interviews. And as a result of that, the president of Konami rung me up and said he'd like me to make the next Silent Hill. Honestly, I'm kind of a scaredy cat when it comes to horror movies, so I'm not confident I can do it. At the same time, there's a certain type of horror that only people who are scared of can create, so maybe it's something I can do. That said, I think Silent Hill has a certain atmosphere. I think it has to continue, and I'd love to help it continue. And if I can help by supervising or lending the technology of the Fox engine, then I'd love to participate in that respect. And so we are like-minded individuals we are kindred spirits in that we uh we are very scaredy cats but being able to come at it from that perspective and having it like i am terrified of this so i think i can give you a different perspective than someone who loves this 
Yeah, I think that's I, that's exactly it. Like, I, I think part of why Silent Hill started falling off a little bit, like declining a bit, um, was because they kind of lost that vision of what made it so special in the beginning. And um, I think a big part of that is like that's those scares, like those that, yeah. that feeling it was creating. Like, you know, they were just reusing characters or, you know, trying to do the action kind of stuff. And it was I'm like, I think he had it right. Like in that quote, I just was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly it. Like if you're if you know why it's scary and you it elicits a reaction out of like himself, then he can create that in that sort of sense. Like he knows, you know, like, oh, OK, like he'll know when it feels right. And that's I think what's important. Yeah, absolutely. And he mentioned it in the uh, in the interview. But a big part of that was also the Fox engine. Fox yes. engine is like this ridiculous game engine that was developed by K- Kojima Productions. And it is it results in some of the most fluid and some of the most immersive gameplay that you can get. I mean, just Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid Five exclusively on the Fox engine. And it is one of my favorite games, even though it is criminally uh, unfinished. But... <laughs> I love that game. We'll get into it later on down the line. But Mm -hmm. Kojima wasn't the only person that Konami approached to help bring this game to life. They also brought in an auteur in his own right in the world of film, Guillermo... I'm just going to blow past that because I definitely butchered that. Um, Del Toro. uh, Nailed it first try. Got it. Um, Now, can you give us a brief... uh, I guess a brief description, a brief premise, maybe some films of Del Toro's yeah. that uh, people might know. Yeah, I mean he's he's huge. If you you know Pan's Labyrinth, I think was the a big one that really yeah. for a lot of people kind of put him on the map. Um, and then he did Shape of Water and stuff. Um, I think those are the really big ones that he's done. Um, but he is it's great because I mean even in in his own horror interviews, he's talked about like for instance Shape of Water. He was like when he watched um, the creature of the Black Lagoon, like for the first time, and there's like this shot of like the creature like swimming um, under, like, okay, so the, the girl that's in it is like swimming at the top of water and the creature is swimming underneath. And it's supposed to be the scary moment of like, oh gosh, he's going to get her. Yeah. And he said that when he saw that moment, he felt like it was a love story. Like it was, you know, like, no, it's, he's just pining for her and stuff. And that's kind of where Shape of Water came from. And it's, so it's an interesting thing for him to get brought on board, I thought too, because he does still do like horror type things. They're a little bit different, they're, but they're on that creepy level, which again right. is so Silent Hill. Um, but he brings um, this kind of, I don't know, like a vulnerable sort of like perspective to it as well. And I think again, with like things like Silent Hill 2 and stuff, like having that come get brought in that could be used psychologically would be really great. So I thought he was a really like, when I heard that, I was like, you know, like, <laughs> all our dreams are coming true, guys. Yeah, it's, it, it, was, it was a match made in heaven. And I agree, it's his amount, his, um, his approach to bring pathos to creatures that you would otherwise dismiss as like something just like, oh, it's terrifying. It's very mm-hmm. um, Frankenstein's monster in that way, in that yeah. he can see the beauty and horror. And the last time that he really dove into like a big IP was Hellboy. And yes. Hellboy is a ton of fun. Go rewatch it. If you haven't watched it in a while, it is wonderful. <laughs> um, but yeah, Hellboy. He did Crimson Del- Peak too. Sorry, yeah. Just, yeah, and that one was like another really good, atmospheric, beautiful film um, with some really creepy moments. Yes. So <laughs> oh my god. But yeah. yeah, and Del Toro was also kind of integral to bringing in 
a horror legend to work on this game as well alongside yes. himself and Kojima and that being Junji Ito. Junji Ito is a horror manga icon. Uh, is responsible for horror manga like Tomi and Uzumaki. Uzumaki is just the worst. Um, <laughs> and I mean that so positively because it's one of, it's one of the few horror manga that I was like I have to put this down and I have to walk away from this because I don't feel good. Um, it's it's wonderful and so Del Toro brought uh, Junji Ito on to also help flesh out the tone, some of the um, design, mm-hmm. and everything was going smoothly for Silent Hills until Kojima had an idea. Because Kojima has to have ideas and has to make things different. And that's something that's, on one hand, incredible, and on one hand, incredibly frustrating about Kojima because he's constantly trying to top himself. But with this, he decided, instead of doing, you know, the normal video game thing where it's like, you get an announcement trailer, you get gameplay trailers, you Mm -hmm. get screenshots to really, like, sell the game and market the game, he wanted to put together an interactive teaser experience, something that had never been done before, something that had on paper the uh the opportunity to become uh game changing pun not intended for the entire industry and a lot of people try to kind of decide on whether pt at its core was as kojima described a playable teaser or whether it was a demo and the thing about it is that it can be both and it can be neither at the same time. And that's what's so like crazy about yes. this. Because demos, I think, are a lost art when it comes to modern gaming. Because I don't... A lot of people, I think, you know, in our age bracket, uh, mm-hmm. remember the days where it's like, okay, you know, there's this game coming out and we're going to release a 15-minute demo. Yeah. So that it, it's usually packaged up with another game. Yeah. You know, all of the... You get all of the basics to know what you are going to be playing. Yes. And you don't see that no, enough anymore. No, I used to get, like, as a kid, I used to get, like, discs that were just demos. Like, you could yeah. just get the demo discs, and then you'd play them, and then that's... that. Honestly, that's how I got into even Silent Hill. I think I played Silent Hill 3 first, the demo, and then that was when I was like, oh, this might be cool, and then kind of worked backwards. But, yeah, like, literally, like, that's a lost art. We don't have that as much anymore. Yeah, and I remember that the... Uh, that was how I got into the Metal Gear franchise because I played it on one of those like we're we're gonna throw ten different demos yeah. on this one disc <laughs> and like today you barely see it ever. That's why I was really excited when uh, Final Fantasy VII yes. remake released that demo. I played the hell out of that, that for so like fun. weeks and I then because it gives you not just a taste of like what to expect, but it also just gives you so much extra hype. Yeah, the game that's coming out. Oh my gosh, exactly. Like, I was like, okay, this can hold me over a little longer. And now, like, and it completely sells you at that point, you know, if it's yeah. good, of course. But yeah, I was like, totally sold. I mean, I was already sold, but I was very much sold now. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing about it is that, you know, demos are kind of made to be just a piece of the game. Mm-hmm. They're made to be, you know, either a far off part of the game that can be released like without any spoilers or with many demos it's like the intro the tutorial stuff which is great because it gives you that that first step into the door of how the game is going to play how you are going to interact with its world but with this 
Kojima has said in interviews that like almost none of the things that happened in PT were actually going to be in Silent Hills. It was just created to give you a flavor of what this game was going to feel like. Right. And that's something that's so interesting to me about how he maybe none of this stuff was going to be in silent (laughs) hills but the feeling that the game elicited from you was the important part and that's what makes kojima such a unique mind in the industry and so pt was announced at gamescom 2014 with a demo to be released later that year and again just like with the situation with ground zeroes kojima released the news of this game from an indie studio an indie studio giving their first game out onto gamescom as their debut and it was from this made-up studio called 7780s studio and this is the thing that i think is so cool about this is that the name that he got from it 7780 is the square area of this prefecture in japan called shizuoka and shizuoka literally translates to quiet hills it's so cool and like the you know a lot of people actually just call pt shizuoka because like it's so and i think it's so smart it's so smart and it really again speaks to kojima's creativity yes and like him having that just little detail of it being 7780s being the square footage of this prefecture it's it Ah, I love yeah. Kojima so much. No, I know that's exactly it. It's like putting in I don't those little tiny details, those little like Easter eggs, those little secrets. Like that's what yeah. I mean. We like love that ish. You know what I mean? Like, and especially sure. in something like you know the fact that when you get to play PT, you're like that's what it is. You're like trying to find these little pieces and doing these things. So um, super cool. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, and so PT was officially released to the PlayStation Network on August twelfth, twenty fourteen, on my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you remember playing this? Do you remember your first experience playing this? And can you speak to a little bit of how that went for you? Um, I had uh, I had been moving to um, Phoenix during this time. That's right. <laughs> so uh, I brought my PlayStation. I was super excited to like, hey, look, there's a new thing. You know what I mean? And I was living in a big old house all completely by myself because... <laughs> <laughs> the guy who was renting out the space to me, like he work, worked in California half the time. And so, yeah, that was, there was definitely mistakes made and I was definitely terrified. And I do remember this. And I remember it took me a very long time to, I don't know, try to get anywhere in this game or, you know, this teaser. <laughs> well, yeah. And like that game, because I remember I, I don't dive into a lot of horror games. If something really grabs me, like Dead Space, we talked about yes. last Geektober. Um, I will definitely dive into it, but, like, I remember getting a recommendation for this and being like, okay, yeah, I'll try it out, and just being engrossed and terrified. Um, It's incredible. It really, really is. And so what made this so interesting, PT, or Playable Teaser, Mm -hmm. was a big change-up from the Silent Hill uh, formula. Jessica already mentioned it. It's mostly third-person action not action but puzzle solving horror atmosphere Mm -hmm. this one shifted the perspective to first person which again feeds into the uh immersion feeds into the creep factor of everything and rather than focusing on the monsters and the um the danger lurking around every corner the 
game in itself had a focus on puzzles and atmosphere. And this was very specific for Kojima because he didn't want to focus on gore and violence. He said in an interview, if you want gore and violence, go play a Resident Evil game. We're yeah. going to be the intellectual horror franchise. Right. And... No shade to Resident Evil. They're great. No, but... we love them for what they're doing. Well, especially nowadays. But anyways, we really love them. But <laughs> it's true. Like Silent Hill, you have to put yourself apart. And that was what made Silent Hill special, in my opinion. So I was like, let's go back to those roots and, you know, dig a little more. Yeah. And that's exactly what this game did while also kind of putting a twist on it. Mm-hmm. And what's so genius about this. And there's a game recently that uh, just came out that kind of feeds into this idea. But... The game itself is a literal game loop. Like, you are basically yeah. in the same hallway for the entire game, and it just loops back. Um, it's just... And the intention for the hallway was, Kojima said, intentional immersion. Because it, you could put it in a fantastical place, you could put it in, like, a mansion or something, but not everyone has been to a mansion. Not everyone mm-hmm. knows what the intricacies of that is like, but everyone knows what it, it's like to go down a hallway. Yeah. You live in a hall. If you live in a house, you live in an apartment, like there is a hallway that at night you just kind of get the heebie jeebies a little bit from going through. Traumatized. Yeah, no. And it was, it's claustrophobic kind of in that way too. Like yeah. it, it felt like you're just on this one track kind of thing. Like, you know, um, you have to move forward or you have to turn around and both choices are terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. And alongside that, they had this um, ethereal creature who we presume is named Lisa. Uh, this was the this is kind of the one big thing that's just like, okay, this is like kind of a traditional horror thing where it's mm-hmm. like this creature who is stalking you through these hallways. Every single time you turn around, there's a chance she might be there. It's terrifying. <laughs> and when it comes to the game loop when it comes to the um the hallways and all of the puzzles kojima intended this game to take a week to complete I know. which is which <laughs> i know for me absolutely is what happened i took a week maybe a week and a half because it would get to a point where i'm like all right i have to put this down i need to go turn on lights i need to go uh, yeah. watch looney tunes i need to go 100%. get right. this like feel off of me But he was surprised to find that as soon as the game released, some players were able to complete it in just a couple hours. I know. Well, and I mean, it's the gaming community, right? Like nowadays people are like, we love to find those Easter eggs, those secrets and the unlock things. And you want to be the first person to do it. You know, it's, um, yeah. So, I mean, I wasn't super surprised that people were that quick about it, but at the same time I was like, they are madmen because (laughs) again, I did not make it very far in those first few playthroughs. And I had to like have people over basically to like get farther and like, yeah. Uh, oh, and I could it was just so scary. Like it was so scary. But these people and, just And some of those puzzles like yeah, they don't them, make any sense. No. Yeah, exactly. Like I can remember where I got stuck, like where I finally got to a point where I was just looping and I, I couldn't figure out how to move forward kind of thing. Yeah. Um I remember where I got stuck and then it was, you know, uh finding out, you know, eventually you can look on the internet or whatever and figure out how to go forward and I was like, This is this is crazy. Like who sat here <laughs> and did these things? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, basically, this game um, starts you out, again, first person, you don't know who you are, you don't know this, but as a player, you don't know who you're playing as, but you're first person, you wake up in this concrete room, and you open the door, and you 
once you figure out the puzzle and get out of the door, once you get out of the room, there's this hallway. And so you are basically endlessly looping this hallway to try and get out of the hallway. And while you're doing it, you're finding clues. You're finding... Uh, puzzles you're solving puzzles you're checking in other rooms in the hallway and you are slowly putting the pieces together as a player on what's going on there's teases about like pretend you know there's a lot of baby imagery and horror baby imagery is one of like my most like spine tingling like horror things like if i see there's like a horror anything and suddenly like you hear like the cries of a baby i'm like i don't like this we don't like this i am not okay yeah but and that's such a silent hill roots thing too is the the babies and stuff i just you know it's like from the very first game even it's all centered around kind of this baby and thing and um and yeah moving forward they've made creatures that have like baby heads like one of the worst ones yeah i was like i have a few in my mind but um but yeah the the game it's it's cool because like you said it's like your first go through it's i think there's like the radio playing and it's kind of telling you the story of or this announcement of like like you know um this guy's killing killing his family or killed his family and yeah um so you start getting these creepy vibes and then you're kind of trying to figure it out because you are you're just in this hallway of a home there's pictures on the wall there's like kind of i think like beer cans thrown everywhere and like but also candy there's like weird things you know yeah and then yeah as you go through um especially in the beginning it's like you know the hall kind of changes like there's something different each time um until yeah you get to a point where you maybe have to solve something before you can change the hall to the next like to progress um but man it's so creepy it's so like you and as the game goes on, like you get, you start to hear whispering. You start to like hear voices. There's a radio that like will play different things. Sometimes it is one of the most like immersive experiences I've ever had with a video game. Eric, I am so like I am partly mad at you for making me relive this because, ah. <laughs> because like I said, I had repressed some of these memories. I swear, I was like, I was like, okay, um, you know, we'll get into why you can't get to PT nowadays. But um, I was like, I, you know, I went and watched some playthroughs to remind myself of like what was what had happened and all the yeah. little details. And yeah, it was legit like unlocking traumatic memories. It was like things that I had repressed in my head, and then was like, and I'm like, like even just watching someone do a playthrough i'm like screaming i'm like she is like on you she's like whispering in your ear and she's on you and i can hear her don't go around the corner like Like, i literally had so much anxiety like rewatching these things and i I blame you eric i blame you for this (laughs) i'm happy i can do that for you (laughs) but yeah and that like that act you know that anxiety kind of feeds into the themes of the actual game Mm -hmm. you know the themes have been you know, cyclical mental anguish, you know, getting yourself like going through something that was either traumatizing or something that you have a really intense memory of and it constantly kind of playing on a loop in your head. Yeah. Uh, trauma and domestic violence. Like we talked about the idea of like, you know, you get these hints that like this guy killed his wife and his child. Maybe you are that guy. Maybe right. you know this guy. Like yeah. all of these things. And then also just mentioned it, claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. really getting stuck in this hallway and kojima said that the the thing about this game that is going to reach everyone who plays it is the idea of horror and at the same time comfort in the ordinary because mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of comfort like when you go into your room at the end of the day like you know where your bed is you know where like your all of the stuff is in your room and at the end of the day you can always count on it to be there and when you go through enough loops 
of this hallway. You know that there are going to be certain things that are always going to be there. Mm -hmm. But the game does enough to make these hallway changes significant that when you go into... there's I remember distinctly going into a loop where I start at the hallway again. Nothing had changed. And I got incredibly paranoid. (laughs) Because I'm like... Oh my god, this hasn't changed. What? There's something here. Something like there has, has to be something. And if I didn't notice it, then what is it? Like, yeah, what? and it's this incredibly like um it's incredibly horrifying experience of like it's it's the same thing that and I I know everybody has had this where like you come home, you know, after like a long day and you can't find their controller or you can't find the remote and you know you left it there yeah. in a specific spot and it's gone. It's like there's and I because my mind just like goes places. I was like, who is in my house? <laughs> like it's it's this terrifying idea of like one little change or yeah. even no change yeah. can be both comforting and at the same time horrifying. Totally, totally. Having lived alone, I absolutely know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, and I can't believe that you played this in a ho- in a house alone because this this house, like you said, it was a big house and it like was a big house. I know and, and nothing. It, and my room happened to be at the end of the hallway. Like, you know what I mean? It's like that thing where <laughs> I'm quitting the game and then I'm like, now I got to go down a hallway again. And it's oh, awful. <laughs> oh, it was so scary. Oh, I had this big dog with me at least. Um, his mm-hmm. name was Otto. But oh, he, Otto. Otto, but he also got paranoid and he could feel off of feelings. <laughs> so it wasn't good because there'd be moments where he would, I swear, it's like, I think he would know I was getting upset and he would just bark and he had the loudest freaking bark. And oh, so then no. I just thought someone was outside or oh, in no. the house or it was just, <laughs> it was like a recipe oh, for disaster. God. Like I legit was like, I can't play this game anymore. Like it took me a while to go back to it and, and actually do more. And usually during the daytime, I'm sorry guys. Yeah. No, I, (laughs) after like my first couple playthroughs, I was like, I need to play this during the daytime because I can't do this. So I would like make sure either it was daytime or like someone else was in the house (laughs) or like something was on. And I'd like, and, and like when I get locked to do a game, like, Mm -hmm. It can, depending on the length of the game, I will be, like, that's all I will focus on. Yeah. And it's, like, incredibly detrimental to my <laughs> productivity. But, like, this one, I remember I had to pace myself. Because I'm, like, at a certain point for each, like, playing through it, I'm, like, I have to turn this off. Because <laughs> I am getting incredibly creeped out and I need to go do something else. Yeah. And so when you finally get to the end, when you've solved all the puzzles, you've seen all there is to see, you exit out of this hallway into this very familiar-seeming foggy town. Mm-hmm. And as you, as it goes into the final cutscene, you finally pan back, you see the footsteps of who you presume you've been playing this whole time. (laughs) There's a quote, a monologue where he's basically talking about, you know, returning and bringing, you know, his friends and like, it's very creepy. Mm -hmm. And the figure stops at a certain point. You finally get a face reveal. He turns and it's Norman fricking Reedus. (laughs) Pans back, playable teaser, silent Hills. And that was the big reveal for everybody. Like, oh my God, we're getting a ninth installment. Yes. Uh, this was 2014. It's been two years since the last Silent yeah. Hill game. Oh my God, this is going to be incredible. Right. Yeah, no one knew until you got to the end that it was Silent Hill. Stuff. <laughs> now, do you, re- do you remember the feeling that you got when you completed it and you 
realize this was going to be another installment of one of your favorite horror franchises? I mean, not really, because I never freaking finished that thing. I even ah! tried. I'm serious. <laughs> like, I got all the way to, like, the last point. Like, the point. In the, but it's so specific what you have to do. Like, it's insanely specific. Like, and yeah. I remember I would, like you know, I was looking up on the internet and everything. It's like, it's legit. Like you have to wait for a certain moment and then you take like 10 steps exactly. And like clock has to be past midnight. Yes, yeah, there, like, There's like all these like specific things you had to do. And I could not do it. I could not do it. And it was awful because, because if you don't do it, then you die. You know what I mean? Like, she, <laughs> yep. Like she kills you. Lisa gets you again. And I just, then you start all, like, it was that thing where I was like, I couldn't get it through it because I'd have to start the game all over again. And then she was always there and she, she has this creepy noise and this whispering. I remember all uh. the feelings of trying to complete this damn thing, but no, <laughs> I eventually watched that trailer on its own. Like, again, like on the internet, YouTube, show me the ending because I can't fucking do this. <laughs> I got all the way to that point, but no, I never got to the cool Norman Reedus reveal on my own. Did you ever get to do that? <laughs> I did. Oh, okay. It took it took me once once I started to figure out like the the conditions. Yeah. It took I mean, it took me a week and a half. Like and it took me so many try of getting to that final loop and yeah. like figuring out okay, I need to do this, I need to do this. And it took once I got there, it was like a day yeah. of like just trying to cuz it's again very specific. Yeah. And once I got out there, I I sat it down. I was like, I never have to do this again. I never <laughs> I have complete. to do this again. I never have to go through this. I never have to put myself through this. Is that Norman Reedus? <laughs> like that was like thought process as I was going. But yeah, it was very cool. Because at that point, I had really dropped off Silent Hill as like a franchise. Because yeah. oh yeah, absolutely. Again, I'm not a horror game guy. Yeah. But like, it was very exciting to know that. Oh, Kojima's on this. So this is going to be incredible. Yeah. And hype was at an all-time high once this reveal was made. And it's like Silent Hills, Hideo Kojima, Guillermo del Toro. Thank you. And Norman Reedus, like, they're going to revitalize this franchise. And everyone was like, this is going to be the most incredible thing because at this point they were in the midst of the hype train for Metal Gear Solid 5. Yeah. And Metal Gear Solid 5 was supposed to be Kojima's grand opus, was supposed to connect the past timeline of Big Boss with the current timeline of Solid Snake. And this was supposed to be, like, golden era of Kojima content. And that's not exactly what happened. <laughs> um, I it mean, is very yeah the recipe for disaster right away right. like you're working on yeah. these two big things it's already kind of a little like it, you have to walk a very fine line yeah. on this tightrope and kojima and konami had had their differences for a while there is multiple reports and interviews where people yeah. talk about the difficulty of kojima working with konami post I would say probably Metal Gear Solid 4. That was where kind of problems started to happen with all the spinoffs and everything. And it kind of came to a boiling point where Kojima took his ball and he went home. He basically mm -hmm. like finished up what needed to be done for um, MGS5 and kind of like peaced out. And yeah. it was incredibly shocking because they had had that relationship for so long mm -hmm. and you know metal gear was like kojima's baby it was his like 
it was his whole, you know, claim to fame, essentially, when it came to, like, mainstream gaming. And in March 2015, just a year after, or not even a year after PT had been released, um, insider reports started to leak out that Kojima and his, like, kind of... uh, his inner circle at the Kojima Productions subsidiary of Konami were going to be leaving. Mm -hmm. And everyone just, like, went up in arms. They're like, what is going on? This is terrifying. I remember hearing about this. Really? And being like, wait a second. No, hold on. Like, Metal Gear. Metal Gear. (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) And uh, just the very next month, April 26, 2015, uh, Del Toro and Norman Reedus made statements, both in in in-person interviews and on Twitter about the cancellation of Silent Hills. Yeah. Interesting they had to do the statements, right? I, w- I always yeah. thought that too. I was like, we were all kind of, I don't know, you expected it to come from, I mean, they were part of it, but still, like, it's interesting they had to kind of do the announcement. So you knew there was some kind of legality or some kind of shit going on for yeah. sure. And, mm-hmm. and Kojima was conspicuously quiet. Right. Like, didn't make any comments, didn't make any kind of like, hey, you know, Konami, but like yeah. it was weird yeah. and then all of the reports you know obviously like sites like kotaku were immediately like konami what's going on yeah and konami was like this is unsubstantiated we don't know anything about this we are not commenting on this until the very next day and this we'll, is a we'll whirlwind a of a week we'll take one day <laughs> yeah man like on we april 27th <laughs> The very next day, Konami officially cancels Silent Hills. They're oh like, Silent Hills will not be moving forward. However, we will be moving forward with the Silent Hill franchise. And mm. two days later, April 29th of 2015, PT was officially pulled from the PlayStation Store, never to be seen again. Like, yeah. <laughs> Jess mentioned it, like, there's no way to officially get PT anymore like there's no way to find it if you downloaded it and you still have it awesome yeah for you never ever delete it because that's yeah right that's the thing too is it's like literally if you delete it even if you had downloaded it you cannot get it back you can't re-download it it's konami had said like hey we're gonna be taking it off the store you can re-download it though if you've already downloaded it before no konami lies rule number one konami lies yes but but what I think is so fascinating about PT, not just taking into account the creators, not just taking into account the game itself, mm-hmm. not just taking into account the incredible marketing leading up to it, it's the legacy that the game has left behind. For such a short thing, yeah. it was only up for not even a year. Um, this game is an icon yeah. in, hor- in the horror franchise, especially in horror gaming. But following this... The lasting legacy of PT had inc- had ramifications that went out everywhere. Uh, Kojima, following his uh, his escape from Konami, <laughs> established Kojima Productions as an independent studio in itself, and went on to create the game Death Stranding, where we saw him teaming up with Guillermo Guillermo del Toro, what? first try, Got it. and Norman Reedus. Yep to put together this game. And it was 100% a Kojima production, for better or for worse. (laughs) And you really got to see these people 
come together because del toro after the cancellation of silent hills said he would never work on another video game yeah and he came back because of kojima because of their partnership and because of what he believed in when it came to kojima's creativity and his approach to making games when it came to konami Konami later on that year and in subsequent years has been criticized for unethical treatment of their employees. Multiple lawsuits, Mm -hmm. multiple um, stories of them trying to get former employees uh, to not be hired by other companies. And later on in 20, I want to say 2017 or 2018, uh, the CEO of Konami, Hideki Hayakawa, announced a focus a shift in the way konami did games that they were going to focus on mobile gaming with certain exceptions and you could see mm-hmm. like the lasting effect that kojima leaving konami had on it like yeah. looking through their um their catalog of games since 2014 mm-hmm. it's all re-releases yeah. all remasters or all mobile games oh my gosh and it's like it's kind of heartbreaking yeah, to know that, like, because Konami was on top of the world at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And then it, 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 to see the downfall and then, like, complete, like, I don't know, even, like, the shift of, like, we're going to go to mobile gaming. I was like, what? Gross. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is a giant cop out. What is happening? <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately for Silent Hill, this means that no new official Silent Hill game has come out since 2012. That's it. It's been almost a decade since we got a new Silent Hill game. Yeah. 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 Time (laughs) continues to march on. It's going. Yeah. And it's kind of sad because, again, this was one of those tentpole gaming franchises Uh, Not just horror franchises, just gaming in general. And to see it kind of fall by the wayside, like Splinter Cell, um, it's, you know, it's kind of sad to see a game like that not continue on when it comes to how much of a stamp it made on the gaming industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's crazy, like, uh, especially seeing, like, for instance, Resident Evil coming out with the stuff they have now. Like, they're doing fantastic. Yeah. Um, really, really great stuff. And when I play those games, I have seen so much influence still from Silent Hill. Like, I yeah. still very much see stuff, um, you know, that I'm just like, oh, my God, that's that's such a Silent Hill type thing that they are, you know what I mean? Like, they're doing it right. Like, they're doing the right For stuff. Sure. And I just keep being like, if these are having so much success, I think Silent Hill would have so much success nowadays. But, of course, they just couldn't get their shit together. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sad. And you do see, like, when it comes to the lasting legacy of P.T. as a game, yeah. the influence on gaming that it had was incredible. There are games like Allison Road, which is this first-person horror game, very similar in that idea where this guy comes to this sleepy U.K. town and, like, essentially has that same kind of thing games like layers of fear visage and most notably as jessica mentioned resident evil 7 biohazard yes and it's not just because resident evil 7 was a shift to first person it's not just because they all of a sudden decided hey we should throw an atmosphere alongside these creatures (laughs) but it's also specifically because jordan amaro who was the main level designer of resident evil 7 was a lead designer on pt Mm -hmm. 
And you can see the influences. He said in interviews, no, there's no correlation. But, like, come on. I know. Come on. Don't lie. <laughs> like. Well, and I mean, that happens with art, right? You know, like, you don't right. mean to, but you imitate things. Or it's just, like, you're so affected by it. Like, how does it yeah. not have an effect on something in the future? And a thousand percent, like, Resident Evil, huge influence from PT. And then. Even going into, you know, Resident Evil Village, uh, I would just say Silent Hill in general. I mean, if you've played Village at all, it's like, I'll just say the baby, like, alone. Again, we talked about babies <laughs> earlier, and I just immediately was oh, just like. Oh, no, there's a baby in that game. Yeah, I was oh, like, no. I won't say anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who ah. knows, knows. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's so fascinating to see how it's stuck in the minds of gamers we referenced it before like if you have it downloaded on your ps4 like it is very valuable like following it being removed and it being you know common knowledge that you can't download uh pt anymore the console rush for ps4s that have pt installed went crazy with consoles going for over a thousand dollars just to get this game on that on a, on a console. That's crazy. It's wild. Yeah. It's so wild, but that's how much people really like. I mean, it had such a lasting effect. And people, and it's true. If it was still available, I would have played it before we went and did this. You know what I mean? Same. I probably would have went back to it at other points too. Um, but no, it's 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 gone. It's gone unless you have it. And it's worth a thousand bucks. Yeah. And it's like, it, it also opened up uh, a dialogue on the whole idea of like delisting games, of taking yes. them away from consumers, the idea of digital preservation and what that means for games and for a fan base as well. And you see a lot today, like games that have been delisted you know famously most recently cyberpunk yeah. was delisted because of all the issues and like you see how it's progressed the conversation when it comes to gaming and how accessible games should be yeah because like this is a game that is iconic you know some of the accolades that it received scariest game of the year from bloody disgusting sphere awards that year uh it won the award for innovation in game technology from the navigator awards and in 2018 the AV Club gave it the title of the best horror game of all time. This is something that has stuck with people. This is something that is going to leave a legacy that far outlives the time that it's spent being playable. Yeah. And you can't play it. And you can't play unless it. Unless you are very fortunate to have one of those PS4s or you have the cash to spend on a $1,000 PlayStation. I know. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's... it's incredible just to see what it's what it's left behind so as we're kind of wrapping up here uh jess do you have any final thoughts on pt and kind of the legacy that it's left behind and kind of what that means to you yeah i mean it's it's huge it's definitely affected me in the long run whether better for worse (laughs) (laughs) um i really think like if you haven't if you didn't get the chance to play this game like i really think just go watch a walkthrough of it or a playthrough um yeah watch an actual person playing it i would say like there are ones that are just going to show you what to do but watch someone playing it because then you get that real-time feel of how it was and it is yeah at least it's the closest you can get to doing it nowadays you know um it affected me so much that it was like literally i would play other games that would just be if they were in first person point of view and if they were there was a hallway in a seemingly nice house (laughs) you know what i mean like um yeah i think like 
what is it life is strange or something like that was set like in mm-hmm. a house and uh, that game i had moments where i was like oh god is something terrible gonna happen because i'm going down a hallway and it's like it, there was nothing scary in that game like it's totally fine but it's like you know there's these moments dude that you just have stuck with me for so long and um yeah i mean even in my own house now it's i've talked about several times filming things that down hallway. our hallway because our Ooh. hallway is so creepy that hallway is incredible and we have. You got to film down our hallway. Because I did. <laughs> it was incredible. It's amazing. And that hallway is terrifying. Yeah, that hallway is terrifying. Maybe people can see that coming up soon. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe. What? We'll Maybe. see. Ooh, teasing. Teasing. Teasers. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I guess you could say that PT gave you PTSD. Oh, I kept saying that to Chris. Because <laughs> Chris had not played this game. Again, he was a... No! Yes. Chris, of no. all people? He's a Resident Evil guy. He's, like, never played... That's true. I, he is a Resident never, Evil guy. I don't think he played any Silent Hills um, when I was talking to him about it. And I was trying to get him to watch some of the playthroughs with me, and he was just, like, nah, like throwing it off because I think I was already traumatized and getting so scared. And he was like, this is yeah. crazy. I gotta walk away from this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, it's, ugh, I don't know where I was going with that, but that was the, <laughs> no, but it's, it's true. Like there's such a kind of an aura around it with how lasting it has, yeah. uh, left its mark on gamers and on people who have watched it it is and i absolutely agree like just watching like the screen of the playthrough is not the same as watching like this is a perfect time for me to plug something that i never plug ever go on twitch see if there are people (laughs) who have you know who have played through this go watch it i'm i'm not a twitch guy except for very specific people Uh, mr noble gaming go check him out but like it's Oh, man, like, it is incredible to, like, look back and see. Like, because I have the same thing. Like, hallways freak me out when it's, like, when it's very late at night. Anytime I've gone to um, any kind of, like, immersive horror experience. We did before the, uh, I think it was 2019. Yeah, because 2020 wasn't around, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we did um, St. Mary's Mm -hmm. or the the Queen Mary's. Yeah, Queen Mary's Dark Harbor. Yeah. Yeah, and like there was a point where you go through the Queen Mary and we hit this hallway, right? And I'm just like, nope. <laughs> just immediately no like hallways you just for turn me. it and you're like, nope, nope, nope. That's nope. gonna be a no for me, dog. Like I I can't handle it. And it's because of this game yeah. and how it's left its impression on me. Yeah. But it is an incredible icon of horror gaming. It is absolutely worth its place in the horror gaming hall of fame and people are going to remember it for a very long time yes and have you noticed uh i was like just like the a day or two ago they're talking about it again like they are talking about it again kojima is talking about it again (laughs) or at least it's like again all rumors right Uh uh-huh but there are articles out there. I was like doing my research and I was like, wait, why is this coming up a, a day ago? A day ago, we are talking about possibly maybe working on this again. Dude, it's that much of a lasting cool. effect 2014 to now. And the thing is, we're still like, I hear that news and I still get really excited. And I'm like, super excited. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, don't play with me. Like, what? <laughs> don't play with my heart don't here. Play with my heart but even if that leads to just them putting it back on the playstation store right. like it would be incredible right. if even if we never get silent hills as it was meant to be yeah like just getting that game back yeah. i think would be amazing and it would be the perfect way to spend your spooky season Heck but yeah 
thank you for coming on the podcast, Jess. I'm yeah. so happy that you get to be a good brother. I know <laughs> it's it's been a long time coming. Long time dream of mine just to become <laughs> a, a good brother. <laughs> so if our listeners want to catch up with you, if they want mm. to see what you're talking about, Jess is an incredible filmmaker, constantly working on some of the most amazing stuff. Uh, where can they find you? Where can they follow your work? Yeah, you can. I'm either on Twitter or on Instagram. Both of them are at Jess Morgan, or sorry, Jess Morg. It's J E S and then M O R G, Jess Morg. So, yeah. And yeah, they've got like. We got stuff Jess... coming up. Like, you know, we oh can't talk too much about things, but in November you might see something from us. So, um, maybe. Yeah. Maybe it's possible. And then we're Who always. Knows? We're in October, so we're always going to pitch one night in October, which you can see our good friend Eric in, yeah. and myself. But yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's free on Amazon Prime and uh, Tubi. So go check it out. It's the perfect season for it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that is uh, that is PT. It's a it's a game that is one of those once in a once in a gaming lifetime experiences, mm-hmm. and it will forever taint how I view hallways <laughs> and I will never look at the letters PT ever, ever the same again. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And this week we are reviewing episode 4 of season 3 of Doom Patrol, entitled Undead Patrol. Um, This episode was a trip. I wasn't sure if I was going to like this episode. (laughs) To be honest, the first episode, or the first three episodes really just came out swinging. And I will say I do think that this is... Um, this is probably my least favorite out of the four, but that doesn't mean it's bad. Uh, not at all. In fact, it's a pretty wonderful story, but I would say just because of how wonderful the first three episodes were, especially that third episode, um, I just really, really dug it. Uh, we really kind of start things off with Kipling and Chief and we find out that Kipling didn't have any kind of like nefarious purpose with digging up Niles's body and taking his head he wanted to use Niles to try and get him back together with his girlfriend unicorn um exactly what you expect right it's exactly what you expect from something like doom patrol um but what this episode really did for me was it reaffirmed my love for michelle gomez michelle gomez i uh was introduced to of course as missy on doctor who she was the female master and i absolutely adored her from the moment that I set eyes on her and I haven't seen her in a whole lot of stuff since she left that show but whenever she does pop up it always makes me smile and this is no different I'm so glad we're getting an entire season with her um she is just dynamite she is so charismatic comes into every scene and immediately pulls attention uh she's wonderful and she really makes this episode shine uh we do get a little bit of uh Vic and Silas time as well 
after uh, Vic had that conversation with his mom in the afterlife where she referenced that it might not have been the, uh, you know, the cyborg body might not have been the only way he could have been saved. And Silas does reveal that he there was experimental technology that would allow him to look normal, but that it was too risky, which is scientists speak for I didn't want to do it, but I'm enjoying where they're going. It feels almost like kind of a reset for Vic and Silas after they kind of completed their arc together in season two, but we'll see. We'll see exactly what happens um, with this. I'll keep an eye on it, but the thing that sold it for me was the relationship between Rita and quote-unquote Shannon uh, as she was called for most of this episode they're wonderful we still don't know how Rita ends up in her time machine wearing her clothes but I absolutely adored their dynamic how Rita's so fascinated with Shannon because she recognizes that Shannon was in this time machine that you know there is something there that somehow between now and whenever that happens uh she is going to gain possession of this time machine uh just really cool and how shannon is just like completely dismissive of her i love it i love it love it love it we also got our first reference to the sisterhood of dada uh that's a huge deal in doom patrol comics um i don't want to spoil it for you if you aren't aware of it uh we did do a whole doom patrol episode where i explained the doom patrol go back in the archives check it out it's wonderful but the big sell of this episode, narratively, uh, kind of harkens back to the title, it's zombies. All of the characters who died become zombies. Larry even becomes a zombie as well after he falls down some stairs. I'm not exactly sure how that works because he wasn't with the group that died, but... It doesn't really need to make sense, I guess, because it was just fun seeing them all be zombies. Uh, we also find out that Shannon's real name is Laura DeMille, because of course it is. Um, and somehow, you know, she gets basically this uh, this footage from Kipling about, you know, showing her as part of the Sisterhood of Dada, revealing her name. And later on, we get the reveal in this footage that Rita is there watching her. So the the connections continue. The, um, the plot thickens, as the saying goes. I'm very excited to see how that goes. Uh, we find out that Darren Jones, that dickhead uh, agent from the last couple seasons has attacked uh, Kipling and stolen Chief's head, and he, after the, <laughs> after the assault on the ant farm from last season, has become a werebutt. You know, those butts that were uh, released and ran wild, slaughtering the entire staff. Well, it they bit into him, they ate him up, and now he's a werebutt, and he can call the other butts. And so we get zombies versus butts at a certain point, which... Fine. Fine. Why not? That might as well happen. Um, eventually, they do uh, defeat all the all the were-butts, though one of the uh, butts is bitten into... This is... What am I talking about? One of the butts gets bitten into by a zombie and is now a zombie butt. Um, <laughs> oh, this show is amazing. I love it so much. But uh, we also get the most 
the most fucked up send off for Niles um, in that he the only way to cure zombieism is for them to eat brains. And so Niles, being just ahead, wants them to feed on his brain. And so he says his goodbyes to Kipling, says his goodbyes to everybody and allows himself to be eaten by the team. And this was, you know, this was a, a nice send off for Niles. Um it's the most messed up send off that you can get for a character, but I do think that at the end of season two, and especially once we got to the beginning of season three, we had really done everything that you could do with Niles Calder. Uh, the big reveal for his character, that he was the one who caused the accidents that turned the Doom Patrol into who they were, they used as the big twist reveal at the end of the first season so there wasn't a whole lot to go off of that and then of course when they brought Dorothy in for season two they told that story now Dorothy is off the dead boy detectives um there really isn't much use for him anymore which sucks because I love his portrayal Timothy Dalton does a great job with his character and it was bittersweet knowing that he had completed his arc he was able to give them all back their lives after taking them from his team you know at different points in their history and i thought it was it was poetic it was messed up but it was poetic and this episode serves as the final goodbye to niles calder so niles calder so long farewell my friend burn in hell for the things you've done wrong but we forgive you but yeah, so overall, like I said, this episode wasn't my favorite. I still think that episode three is probably my favorite so far, but we've got a lot of dangling threads, and I'm not just talking about a zombie butt roaming around the countryside. Um, lots of stuff to dive into. Sisterhood of Dada, the time, you know, the time traveling, Rita and Laura's connections to each other. Lots of stuff that's still happening here and i cannot wait to unravel it but that is going to do it for this week's weekly review tune in next week for episode five of doom patrol but for now we're going to roll right on into this week's comics countdown Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we've got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And honestly, I was kind of surprised, but also really delighted that it was Action Comics number 1035, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson and Sean Lewis with art by Daniel Sampier and Sammy Bosri. Uh, I really liked this issue. This is the big goodbye issue where uh, Clark goes off to try and free the rest of War World alongside his new authority. And this might be one of the first instances, I'd have to go back in the archives to check, and I'm sure someone will correct me, uh, that a super book was chosen two weeks in a row. Last week it was uh, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, and this week it's Action Comics, but I loved this book. This book has one of my favorite Superman moments where he stands up to the Justice League and tells them, I can't wait for you. Like, people are suffering and I have to go help them. Like, that's the most Superman thing. Like, I just, I absolutely loved it. This was also a great two-part story with this and uh, Superman Son of Kal-El from last week as well. Uh, not really dealing with the exact same uh, story, but 
it both of them were great books so i absolutely loved it thought it was a fantastic book but before we get into this week's books i just i gotta i gotta get something off my chest because if you listened to last week's episode you know that one of the issues that i was most excited for was uh strange adventures number 12 the conclusion of the story the wrap-up to tom king mitch jared's and doc shaner's epic story of adam strange And I showed up to my local comic book shop and found that it had been delayed two weeks. They had just found out about it. I didn't know about it. And I'm getting really irritated. I just have to say, I'm sorry. I don't like being super negative on the podcast, but DC Comics solicits certain comics each week. And then when you go to the comic book shop and find out that, oh, no, this book has been delayed three weeks or, oh, no, this book has been delayed till next month, um... It sucks, and I will forgive it if it happens, you know, once or twice. You know, Booster Gold, the blue and gold book that seemingly is coming out every other month now, um, did this a couple times, and I was like, look, I get it, it's a book. But now it's becoming a pattern. Now it's multiple books. Now it's making it so that the schedule gets all out of whack. Like, we had two straight weeks where we got Infinite Frontier books, where it was supposed to be a monthly title. So, like, I don't... I'm just... I'm really irritated. I don't know if this is, you know, growing pains because DC Comics left Diamond and now they've got their own thing going and they're having trouble keeping up with demand. But they just... They need to get their shit together. Or why even put out solicits and previews at all? So, I'm going to get off my soapbox now, but that is just something that I needed to mention. But, that brings us to this week's books. Again, there was supposed to be more, but they got delayed. I'm glad I checked it. Uh, We have just five books. This is the least amount of books that we've had in a while, but they are all books that I'm very excited for. So, let's go ahead and dive into the list, starting things off with... Arkham City, The Order of the World, number one. This is written by Dan Waters with art by Danny. Uh, this sounds cool. This sounds off the rails. This sounds like it could be a an iconic story. So let's go ahead and just dive into the synopsis here. The Joker's attack on Arkham Asylum left the long-standing Gotham establishment in ruin. Most of the patients killed or missing, and only a handful of surviving staff. A few nurses, a gravely injured security guard, and one doctor. In the chaos of the assault, it is believed that several of the asylum's patients escaped and scurried off into the dark nooks and crannies of Gotham City. Now, these Arkhamites walk among us, and it's up to the asylum's one remaining doctor, Jocasta Joy, to round up her former patients. Meet these Arkhamites. A woman with no face. A piggy in search of perfection. A man who feels nothing and burns everything. A woman who must devour life to save herself. A man unfit for the waking world who looks instead for Wonderland. A body with more than one soul. A being unbound from time who lives in the present and the past. A boy who seeks the comfort of vermin and the twisted man who sees them all for who they are. And witness the avenging angel who stalks them. This fall, join writer Dan Waters and artist Danny on an odyssey through the deepest depths and darkest shadows of Gotham City and find all new reasons to fear the night. So that sounds dope. Um, 
a couple of those names do sound familiar to me, or at least those descriptions. Uh, Professor Pig, we've got Mad Hatter at the very least. Those two I'm pretty sure about. Um, also Firefly, I'm pretty sure about as well. And a woman with no face makes me think of Joker's daughter, but I'm not sure exactly if that fits. The, um, I mean, the uh, cover also hints heavily at Solomon Grundy, though I don't know which... Uh, which description he fits into. I'm very excited to check this out. This sounds like a dark, horror-filled human spirit examination, and I am super excited. Next up, we have Dark Ages number two. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Ivan Coelho, and I really dug the first issue. Everything going off, you know, society going off the rails, all the technology shutting off, and now we are in this new world, I think like five years later. So I am excited to check this out. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. It has been years since the age of technology ended in a single moment, like a switch had been flicked off for an entire planet. Now, Earth's heroes attempt to bring humanity together in the darkness. X-Men and Avengers, vigilantes and villains, all work together to create something better. But something darker than the night is descending on the world. Our post-apocalyptic world is about to face Apocalypse. Yeah, I'm into this. I love Apocalypse as a villain. I just really do. And I love the steampunk aesthetic, especially just from this cover. We're getting our steampunk Iron Man. Steampunk Iron Man is my favorite Iron Man. I'm just going to say it. I think it's great. But I'm really excited to see where everyone is at after the lights went out. Um, We do know that... You know, we've got uh, Peter and his family. We know that there are certain characters who are alive. Miles might have a symbiote. We'll just have to see. Very excited to pick this up. Next up, we have Firepower number 16. This is, of course, written by Robert Kirkman with art by Chris Somney and Matt Wilson. Um, This book's been great. I love Firepower. It's one of my favorite books to pick up every month. And this new arc that we're in with the Serpent Society, or the Serpent's Omen, sorry, not Serpent Society, um it's it's great it's it feels like a proper escalation to the story and i'm really excited to see the twists and turns that this arc puts us through so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here the most vulnerable or at the most risk the serpent's omen strikes Short, sweet, to the point. I love it. I'm very excited to pick this up. Cannot wait to see what Owen Johnson gets into next. Next up, we have Batman number 114. This is written by James Tynan IV and Brandon Thomas with art by George Jimenez and Jason Howard. This is continuing on with Fear State. This is Fear State Chapter 3 and also continues the story of Bao, the clown hunter, as he faces off against Scarecrow. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Fear State Part 3 slash DIY Part 3. Batman is racing against time to stop Gotham City from tearing itself apart as the Scarecrow's long game is revealed. The Dark Knight has bigger problems, though, as an insane Peacekeeper 01 is on a murderous rampage through the streets of Gotham. Can Peacekeeper X stop him? 
Clown Hunter has been doused with fear toxin at the hands of the Scarecrow, and he is living out every anxiety, moment of pain, and heartbreak he's ever had. Will he find his way out and resume his goal of being Gotham's protector from clowns, or will he succumb to Scarecrow's greatest mind game yet? See the end of this epic story that will change Clown Hunter's trajectory in Gotham City forever. So yeah, Fear State has been great. I've really loved what they're doing with it, especially the art. The art, the Jimenez art is top tier as always. But I'm really interested to see how this Clown Hunter story ends. I like that this this backup specifically has given us more background on him. I wanted that. It's given to me. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we're going to see him develop into Red X. Fingers crossed. I called it a while back. We'll see if that ends up being true. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is The Amazing Spider-Man number 75. It's been a while since we've had a Spidey book, uh, at least a mainline Spidey book, uh, grace the uh, comics countdown. And not only that, it takes the top spot. Why, you may ask? Well, it's because Beyond is starting this week. The next chapter in Spider-Man's story, starring Ben Riley, the best Spider-Man, is here. It is written by Kelly Thompson, or here, the story is by Kelly Thompson, Saladin Ahmed, Cody Ziegler, and Zeb Wells. This particular issue is written by Zeb Wells with art by Patrick Gleason. They are kicking things off, and we are going to be diving into a very familiar status quo, if you have been reading Spidey Comics for a long time. Uh, Brand New Day took this kind of approach where it became... Basically a weekly book with rotating uh, writer and art teams. And this is going to be the same thing. Spider-Man Beyond is going to be taking that same approach. And this week we're getting Zeb Wells and Patrick Gleason to kick things off. Very excited to see what happens here. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Beyond Chapter 1. Test Drive. Amazing Spider-Man is back to thrice monthly because this story is pure jet fuel. Ben Riley has returned to NYC and has fully taken back the mantle of Spider-Man. But what does this mean for Peter Parker? The greatest team of web writers has come together with the most epic arachnid artists ever assembled to bring you a spider story that will shake up Spider-Man's 59th year in ways you cannot predict. So that sounds like a big deal to me. Sounds like a very exciting time. I cannot wait to see how this kicks off. You know I'm a huge Ben Riley fan. I've been waiting for this, and I am just over the moon to get back into a saga that stars my favorite blonde-headed stepchild. So that does it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap... We have Arkham City, The Order of the World, number one, Dark Ages, number two, Firepower, number 16, Batman, number 114, and The Amazing Spider-Man, number 75. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, subscriptions, especially subscriptions, really help me out, really helps the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space, kind of raises our stock up and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. We are so close. We're almost to 20 ratings, and I would love to get up to 20 ratings, and if you give us a 
rating and review, a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it. I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write whatever you want. You give me that five-star rating and review, and I will read it here. And you can join the likes of our Almost Dirty Dozen, include, including Seafire ND, Joshua Barrels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, and A-Lock and A-Z. I want to say a big thank you to all of these fine folks for their review, and I cannot wait to hear yours. If you want to be part of our Geek Explained mailbag, if you have a question for me, you want to get maybe an explanation on something, a quick pitch, or maybe you want some recommendations that we haven't yet covered on the podcast, feel free to email me, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com and put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read your email here and address it on the podcast. Finally, if you want to keep up to date with us, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit on the latest geeky news and tell me how excited you are that Sora is finally in Smash. Uh, you can follow us on the socials, Twitter and Instagram at GeekSplainedPod. That's at GeekSplainedPod. Um, I'm very excited about everything that we're talking about this week. Everything that we're talking about this whole month. Geektober was such a blast to put together last year. And this year I have a bunch of awesome guests lined up talking about some ridiculously cool spooky things i want to say a big thank you once again to jessica for coming on to the podcast jess is a longtime friend of mine and she is now officially a good brother as well very excited go check her out check out all the things that she's doing um she's wonderful she's legitimately one of the nicest people in the entire world and i am incredibly fortunate to be counted among her friends so next week next week we are jumping from video games into the world of film for part two of geektober we are going to be going through the history of the halloween film franchise and ranking every single one of those 11 films from worst to best and who is the guest for next week you might ask well it's none other than the Halloween Michael Myers expert himself, Matt Draper's coming back, y'all. So look forward to that next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Kazana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, stay spooky, and we will see you next time. See something strange Come with us and you will see This our town of Halloween This is Halloween This is Halloween Pumpkin scream in the dead of night This is Halloween Everybody make a scene Trick or treat Tell the neighbors gonna die of fright It's our town Everybody scream It's town of Halloween I am the one hiding under your bed Teeth ground sharp and eyes glowing red I am the one hiding under your stairs Fingers like snakes and spiders in my hair This is Halloween, this is Halloween Halloween, 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 Halloween In this town we call home Everyone hail to the pumpkin song In this town, don't we love it now?
now everybody's waiting for the next surprise. Found that corner man hiding in the trash can. Something's waiting at a bounce and how you scream. This is Halloween. Red and black. It's like a green. Aren't you scared? Well, that's just fine. Say it once, say it twice. Take a chance and roll the dice. Ride with the moon in the dead of night. Everybody scream. Everybody scream. Donald and Trace! I am the who in the cloak who's there. I am the wind blowing through your hair. I am the shadow on the moon at night, filling your dreams to the brim with fright. This is Halloween, this is Halloween. Halloween, 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 Halloween. Halloween, Halloween. That's our job. But we're not mean in, in our, our town, town of Halloween. In this town, don't we love it now? Everyone's waiting for the next surprise. Instead of Tin Jack, might catch you in the back and scream like a bat, you make you jump out of your skin. This is Halloween, everybody scream. Won't you please make way for a very special guy? The Woman Jack is king of the pumpkin patch. Everyone hail to the pumpkin king now. Everyone hail to the pumpkin song. <laughs> 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 <laughs>